Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today's episode is a joint production between The Daily Evolver, me, and my dear friend and integral comrade in arms for many years, Terry Patton, and his new podcast, State of Emergence. In this conversation, Terry and I do what we normally do, which is to talk about current events and politics and culture and science and climate. And while I think we're both doing our best to come from an integral sensibility, we both bring our own karmas to the conversation and our own points of view. And so we're just going to go for it and share that with you. And I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Jeff, it's great to be here with you today. Good to be here with you too, Brother Terry. Yeah. Yeah, Happy so, New Year. Yeah, really. I, I got good feeling about 2020. Do you? I think 2020 is going to be a good year. Yeah, oh, wow. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm in the new leaf mode about 2020. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if the pattern continues, it'll be the best year yet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, for humanity, it's, right. uh, you know, kind of a chaotic forward movement, but uh, the, as a whole, we're doing better every year and decade. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't been too good for, what are they, the black rhinos or whatever, but uh, yeah. you know, not everybody's thriving. But Yeah, we, well, that's right. And that's actually one of the, I think, cruxes of Integral is to see that there is a forward movement and to see that better does not be good. Mm. You know, that better just means that, you know, there's a little less suffering per capita. And we've got a long ways to go. That's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a whole conversation. Some of my listeners are pretty hardcore deep ecologists who would challenge all this. We could Mm -hmm. go down a rabbit hole kind of thrashing that out. Better for humans, maybe, but not better for the whole body of life and not necessarily better for our life support systems. Yeah. Um, But I don't think you and I need to requibble that. We've well, explored those. I agree with that, actually. Mm. I think that um, there is an argument for the, you know, the, the biosphere being in a crisis that needs to be addressed. Um, my sort of quibble, if you will, is that a lot of that thinking comes with hidden agendas that is part of the culture war. You know, we're fear oriented and we're danger oriented. And for the first time at Green, we're world centric. So, you know, we see the the crisis for the planet and there's whole stages of human development that don't see that. And uh, and yet that's who we sort of have to deal with. That's interesting. So let me feed back to you some of the connections. I mean, I'm kind of saying back to you what you just said, but maybe with a a few more connections. Uh, that there's an inbuilt negativity bias in the brain because it was okay if we missed a few carrots, but if we missed any of the big sticks, whap. So we have this inbuilt negativity bias. And as we've evolved to a world-centric orientation, our negativity is now projected onto the world. And that that is something we don't tend to notice as a bias. And uh, beyond that, everybody who's not primarily world-centric in their values, seems then to us to be potentially world-murdering and our tendency to other them, not just to feel superior, but to really see them as evil, yeah. suddenly magnified. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And that is the crux of the culture war right now, is that I think actually in some ways the progressives, and I'm, I'm right there, you know, are actually beginning to develop what I would call an unconscious incompetence. I'm sorry, a conscious incompetence around mm. this. Mm. Uh, before, the unconscious incompetence is, you know, just being monoperspectival. People to, who don't have my worldview are defective, bad, wrong, evil, must be stopped. You know, there's a whole cascade of what we do when we see people that way. And I think there's, I just did a podcast on it where I use three comedians who are making, one of them, Bill Maher, who is making this case that, hey, wait a second, they think in ways that we can't even wrap our head around. I mean, they hang testicles from their pickup trucks. You know, that's what <laughs> one of the jokes. So, you know, what are we going to do with these people? But it had a certain surrender quality that I think is a part of the way forward as we move into, as we get, you know, hip to our green worldview, which is clenched around global, global fear. It's just sort of inevitable. And, um, and move into a, uh, a stage that is, first of all, I mean, if we're just using basic integral theory, we're moving from a fear-based operating system to a creativity or love-based operating system. And that um, we can actually relax that anger and hatred and begin to see that we're all here together and that we're here with people who put testicles on their pickup truck and have, you know, 30 guns <laughs> and think their heritage is the only right one and have many deplorable characteristics, which is typical of people at traditionalism, you know, from the view of postmodernism. Uh, but how can we befriend them? And actually, not only befriend them, but um, see what piece of the truth they have that we have lost or that we don't see. Mm. You know, because they have the same view of us uh, that, you know, they have a worldview that is obviously true to them. And that we don't see it that way makes us stupid and libtards, you know, and defective. And you know, we can't work their program for them, but we can work our own. And I think we, I feel like we're doing it. I really do. Yeah. You know, this is a very fundamental conversation and in a way it's territory you and I have covered so many times, but I think, I think it makes sense for us to at least briefly kind of go into it a little bit more. So I, I'll, let me take the bait and uh, dive in. It seems to me that my, you know, I, I, I have, you know, I'm half a uh, recent uh, refugee from the shtetls Jewish, and I'm half uh, came over as a pilgrim in the 1600s blue blood uh, wasp. And uh, on my blue blood wasp side, I know I have cousins and especially second cousins all over the place who are Trump supporting conservatives and all the rest. And probably some white supremacist, who knows, you know, I know that I have an ancient uh, ancestor who participated in the Indian genocide, you know, and, and, 
you know, after his family was butchered by an Indian massacre, you know, it, it, the, 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 the cycle of alien, you know, I, I you know, the, I, the I, human I, catastrophe, I, you know, it's just exactly, exactly. And I invoke that because my practice is to assume that I have something in common with people who it feels like I have nothing in common with, you know, that, 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 that I, I'm really trying to grow that perspectival capacity because I'm in the same lifeboat with a whole bunch of people who it looks to me are poking holes in the lifeboat, setting fires on the lifeboat, shooting the other people on the lifeboat, trying to turn the lifeboat into a war scene, you know, who are the worst, who are, who are doing absolutely everything to destroy our collective future. And as I consider that, you know, what, what arises in me, I mean, in different moments, many things arise in me. I mean, very often there's just a, a sense of curiosity and interest and, and compassion. But in other moments, especially when I'm really, really feeling some new horrific development in the ecological emergency and the, and, and, and the, and the violence and suffering and destruction of so much that's beautiful, uh, and and my rage is stimulated by that. You know, there's a there's a, a an energy that comes forward in me that's something like, you know, like it's a ferocity that wants to kind of roar forth and say, "Listen here, you're on the same lifeboat as me. I will not let you other me. I will not let you other all the creatures and all the other people here. We are going to hang together, or we're going to hang separately. And you're going to wake up." because I love you and I love the future of your descendants and you are not going to withstand that and bring destruction and stupidity to our mutual enterprise of our collective advocacy and care and work on behalf of the future in life, of life. I will not let you do that. You know, where I want to kind of roar right forth with, you know, like love needs to be able to assert its own right. ferocity and intensity with a voice of authority that outstrips the seeming authority of the voice of threat and anger and, you know, to stimulate fear that seems like the voice of authority at, at a first tier level. Yeah, yeah. right on. I, and I feel that too. Thank you for that transmission. I was right there with you on that lifeboat. Mm. So here's what I would say then is our next project is to flip it. And so now you're them and you're on the lifeboat. You have the exact same thing to say to these other people, to these progressives. Mm. What the fuck are you doing? You're tearing down capitalism, the edifice of civilization uh, where you rule. There's poop on the sidewalks. Uh, wh where is God? You've banished God and all enchantment and transcendence from the world. Look at your sexual revolution and what we're putting into the world, into the minds of our children through pornography. What the fuck is the matter with you people? You know, stop shooting holes in this lifeboat. We're going down. Now, I don't think they're right, but I get that that's what they have to say. And that there's actually a piece of the truth to all of that. All, both sides. Mm, mm. But many integralists are contracted around basically the fact that we're all chest deep in green, you know, most integralists. And so we get contracted to that stage. But part of moving forward is what do they have to say about how we're shooting up the lifeboat? 
Well, especially because we need them in order to create a more watertight (laughs) craft to navigate the waters. Absolutely. And we need them to bring on things that we have forgotten about, like enchantment, spiritual enchantment. You say what you will, but when you feel like you are a child of God, uh, and this well, world and is that not your, your home. link to that is scripture and obedience yes. to tradition and the old time religion, and 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 that that has been a, a, a surefire way to navigate the world, and the Muslims and uh, the the Chinese or you know Eastern religions, Indians and all that they don't have all these things that you love about Christianity and that that path is the path that you know, you know, has created all the beauties of Western civilization and all the, you know, the enlightenment, all of, of what has made life better has issued forth from this particular tradition. And if people just want to relativize all that, they're going to undermine the foundations of what everybody's well-being rests on. That, that seems to be the argument. Yeah, it is. I mean, you sound like Attorney General Bill Barr. <laughs> for God's sakes. I mean, you're, you're tra- for channeling. For a moment. For a wee moment. <laughs> but that, yes, of course, that is their, that's their uh, argument uh, to secular society. And, um, you know, again, a piece of the truth in the sense that, you know, for them, secular society is the dismantling of their hearts and their en- the enchantment. The problem is that they're... Uh, uh, it always comes with an exclusivity claim that my religion is better than the others, that my heritage is the best and others are all defective versions of that. So imagine a world where we can all bring our deep heritage, you know, our deep soul of our people, you know, in your case, the, the two streams you've talked about. And it's all online, and we all get to do that. Uh, and, you know, religion, and it, it, it's a, a truly, uh, you know, multi-perspectival culture. I think we're actually working our way towards that. But, um, you know, again, we, 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 we got a long way to go here. We, we also maybe have some work to do in our own families. Like, maybe it's possible for me to go and spend time with my Christian side of my family, and particularly with the people who disagree with me about politics, and have something of a family reunion in which the fact that we basically do love each other and we just celebrate our Jocelyn heritage and all the things from our, you know, we go back to Ethan Allen on one side, you know, all the things we have that we are so proud of. And in that sense of commonality, to have a, a conversation of a different kind. One of the things that I always say to people who are, you know, I often get the question, so what do I say to these Trump supporting people who just drive me crazy and mm-hmm. give me you know, heebie-jeebies and I can't stand talking with them? What, what mm-hmm. do I say? And I always suggest to them that they change the subject and that they mm-hmm. not have a conversation about anything that is ever discussed on any cable news channel and that they instead have conversations about the things that they have in common, that they get mm-hmm. really interested in anything they can like about that other person in any place, especially where there are common values, things that they both, that we both care about. 
Right. And to, to, to magnify that and to simply do the work of re-knitting the social fabric across this uh, divide that has opened up and, and to just make it, make it better, make them notice how much they like you and leave with that as your victory. And they haven't changed their mind about guns or abortion or Trump or anything, global warming, nothing. Right. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I think there's a, a, a step further for people who are interested and capable. And that is, don't worry about what you have to say to them. Worry about what they have to say to you. Mm. Don't go in there with the idea of influencing. Go in with the idea of being influenced. What, are they, what, what could you walk out with that you didn't have when you walked in? And I think that's a terrific practice. It is, but it, it definitely would be one part of a larger process that would not end there only always, I would think. Right. I, I don't think, I just, I, I think both of those things are valuable. And, you know, the, the idea of just avoiding the topic completely, for some people, that's clearly the best way to go. And it depends who you're talking to. But with my Uncle Blaine, <laughs> for instance, you know, my truck driver, bricklaying Uncle Blaine, who's retired and loves Trump. I love listening to why he loves Trump. Mm. You know. He and, says stuff you don't hear on cable TV. He says yeah, his own thing. Well, you hear yeah. it on one channel of cable TV, which is the one he watches. But mm -hmm. it also is very heartfelt. He, he doesn't watch it because he's been hypnotized by Fox News. He watches it because they articulate something he deeply gets and believes. Mm. And, um, and that's why all the people watch Fox News. And well, that's mostly what, what I hear on Fox News is hatred of people like me, like well, how exactly. stupid we are. Yeah. And so that, that, that hatred is, it, you know, it's, it, it, my ability to empathize with hatred of people like me has some limits, you know, naturally. Yeah, and. And, and, and so I'm curious uh, about how I can, um, like, where are they right? Where are people like me full of shit? Where, where, are, where, are, where is yeah. there uh, a, a truth that I can take with me, practice with, and be a more conscious, complete, you know, fully you know, integrous human being? on the basis of, and the biggest thing that I notice that feels right is that, you know, they have, they tend to have this division between makers and takers. And are, are you getting up early? Are you working hard? Are you making your contribution? Or are you always making excuses for the people who can't cut the mustard? You're always sympathizing with underdogs to the point that you don't realize that you've got to shoulder the responsibility to make stuff happen. You don't respect the independent business people who are the job creators, you don't respect the need for certain kinds of discipline, and you don't apply that discipline, you don't even raise your kids with that discipline, and that therefore there are certain things in, in the traditional codes that you've thought you outgrew, but really you've just become undisciplined in, yeah. and your growth to embrace your seemingly sophisticated postmodern values has been accompanied by a degeneration in your own capacities to be yes. fully self-responsible. That's the argument that does make sense. Yeah, I think that's right on, Terry. You know, and, and I think that, you know, just in general, here's what I've learned from the Trump era. 
or in the Trump era, is that, and I'll just describe my own worldview. I mean, I was modern, postmodern, working my way towards integral best I could. And so I was, you know, modernism is about globalism. That's the basic thing. So, you know, we can trade. It's globalism in the exteriors, not necessarily in the interiors. Uh, globalism in the interiors is actually postmodernity. So you become multicultural and want to feel in and see the bigger systems and all of that good stuff. And so I thought that was that that's good. Let's let's run with that forward. And what I and, you know, the people I left behind and the, you know, the deplorables and, you know, those people, they're going to have to get with the program, you know. And now I realize that they're not going to get with the program. They don't want to get with the program. They got a program. And their program contains a lot of what you just said about that sort of deep self-responsibility. Um, and um, just the uh, the love of this culture that those of us, I mean, I knew at six that I was going to leave it. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, conservative traditionalism, and actually in that arc of Scottish heritage that is really has a, you know, some of the most backward qualities about it in terms of, you know, idea, you know, I'm a gay kid in the middle of this, you know. So I knew I was out of there. Uh, and, and then so when I leave, then a lot of how they think and what they do is, you know, kind of cringeworthy. And if you it's even like if you watch Fox News, which I do as a practice when I can handle it, when I'm feeling like I can stomach it. I suspect you have somewhat better developed capacity in that uh, regard than I do. I do it. I do it regularly as a practice, too. But I got to yeah. say, I withstand sometimes only a few minutes. Yeah, well, you know, me too, actually. But one of the things that you'll notice is just a corniness. You know, there's a corny humor. Uh, the women are all babes and dressed up, you know, and, 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 and it's just, um, it's, you know, I can feel even now my, my contraction mm. against that in my, my, my mind body. Mm -hmm. And so as an integral practitioner, I want to notice that because, oh, you know, we know this, Terry. This is one of the great postmodern realizations that our opinion or our view of things is as much about us as, as it is about the thing. Right. And so I want to look at that and see my contractions and try to melt them. And, and then there's Mika Brzezinski, on the other hand, who starts her show by insulting all her guests, especially Donnie <laughs> Deutsch. You know, and it's this cool kind of cutting, you know, you know, that, and that's the sort of aesthetic of, of Green is cool. You know, we're not buying into any of this shit, you know, fundamentally, there's no truth. You know, well, is that is that I mean, I, I'm, I find myself thinking that a better icon for the postmodern point of view and, and, the, and by far the most popular is Rachel Maddow and okay, Rachel's, fair enough. Ra Rachel's um, kind of arch and a little snarky in her, but she's actually doing another version of the outrage thing yeah. because look at this latest and she unpacks exactly how hypocritical or corrupt or I whatever know. it is. Yeah, God bless and her. Here's this storyline you didn't know about and just look how, corrupt or how, uh, you know, undermining of the common good, this or that is. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love Rachel. 
I mean, I have a natural affinity for Rachel. And part of it is just as a, I mean, it's my personality type or whatever, but I learned something from Rachel. There's always a history lesson in there. And it's not just this, uh, you know, talking head. No, she's brilliant. Her book is amazing, actually. Yeah. 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 And I see that she's delivering liberal comfort food at the same time. It's very comforting for me. And I, I'll choose that over Sean Hannity because I have a nervous system that I have to protect. <laughs> <laughs> but I also yeah. want to see it for what it is and also right. see how it has led me down the garden path a few times, mm. you know, with the Mueller report and all of this stuff. I was convinced, you know, that Trump was a Russian asset. I mean, it, it may still be true. I don't want to give up on that. But, you know, there's been a lot of people looking at that. And I think maybe he just sort of, naturally believes what they believe at the same level. Well, there, there, there's... And I'm talking, uh, you know... Conscious, like sort of conscious Russi- Russian asset or unconscious Russ- yeah, Russian asset. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but, they've benefited but enormously, even, even yeah. is that the worst thing in the world, that we have more respect for Russia? You know, really? Well... And that, you know, we drop... I mean, it, we really we think do, we were, we were we going to continue this, you know, monolithic frozen antipathy towards Russia, you know, it's got to change. It's it's not monolithic frozen antipathy toward Russia that I resonate with, but it is a monolithic uh, antipathy toward a return to essentially the golden rule. He who has the gold rules, you know, might makes right authoritarianism, uh, cronyism, and, and, and a kind of fundamental brutality ruling the public sphere. I like there being a monopoly on violence that is adjudicated according to the rule of law. And I don't want to see that undermined. And I do think Vladimir Putin is into undermining that for us and yep. in other Western yep, countries. Absolutely. And I think that Trump has abetted that in important ways through myriad decisions. And they're so eerily consistent. I wonder if he is a conscious, to some degree, Russian asset, not just an unconscious asset. And I get pretty inflamed about all that stuff. That, that definitely <clears throat> registers for me. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. I, I don't rule it out. Uh, I don't get inflamed by it anymore. I actually uh, try to see the intelligence behind it in terms of just the evolution of the planet. And I mean, just as I said a minute ago that in America, one of our challenges is to deal with the legitimacy of people at the traditional stage of development. Right. Uh, And and actually create a multicultural society that includes them. I don't know what that looks like. It may look like more separation in a way. I don't know. Well, there it seems to me that there have to be zones in which there is de facto, if not de jure, uh, segregation, not just yeah. racially, but just culturally, yeah. because there probably need to be neighborhoods or towns where Sunday school and church and little league and high school football and Fourth of July parades and all the rest, just like the middle American ideal that your relatives want to see resurrected, isn't constantly undermined and threatened. Yeah. It seems to me that there's something. Uh, that the left doesn't understand about the fact that a certain kind of ethnocentrism is baked into the neurons because Mm -hmm. human beings evolved 
for so much, you know, whatever, 90% of our evolutionary history, we were in hunter-gatherer bands where the discerning, the issue was whether you were in my tribe or you whether you were a barbarian. And that if you were a barbarian, I, I would either mainly want to avoid you or I would need to kill you or certainly avoid you killing me. And therefore, a kind of hatred and antipathy to the other is 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 right there. So it's 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 a deep, deep, hardwired part of human beings, yeah. which means that people tend on a certain level to like people like me that feel like they're similar and not like people different from me. And I think that it's good for us to outgrow that. And I have been outgrowing that. And I am delighted to have deep friendships and a sense of us with people who don't look anything like me and have very, very different experiences. And I think that kind of globalism is a beautiful thing. And I love the aesthetics of it. And I don't think that the world ought to eliminate all racial, ethnic, religious purity. I think there is something beautiful about being any particular ethnicity. There's something beautiful about being Norwegian or Dutch or you know whatever white uh, tribe you want to name, and the fact that they're going to want to preserve that is a part of reality. And I don't want to be an enemy to whatever it is that's unique and beautiful about being Danish. Yeah. I don't want us to be uh, trying to convert all people from Danishness to global mixed race future. Maybe they're are beauties we can bring, and we can be a tribe too. Our globalist tribe might be one of the biggest tribes, but we don't have to subsume all other tribes. And our ability to play well with others and to not try to eliminate them or seem to try to eliminate them with indirect rules that seem to be a direct assault on their survival, I think is absolutely critical to our own survival. That's where I'm somewhat resonant with a conservative point of view. I think that we've got to change something about this epithet racist because there are many, many, many different degrees of racism. Like, I think that it's really, really problematic and pretty much evil to be into hating and wanting to kill or wanting to eliminate or send back to Africa or whatever the version of the white supremacy. I think that's really ugly and something like evil. I don't mind that being characterized in the way we usually use the word racist. But the older woman who finds herself in a dark street in a city and notices a black person and feels more scared than if they noticed a a white male, I think that that's understandable. And I don't want her to be called anything like what that other guy is. Or even somebody who looks at a neighborhood and has some subconscious response to it being more racially homogenous in their own yep. model rather than not, and, and somehow preferring that. We've got to make room for people to have those. They, they can learn something and outgrow those things, and I'm kind of for that, but I don't want to make them wrong or bad over the fact that that's in, in, embedded in human beings. And I think there are going to be some people who are going to just have it as their nature to be in love with their particular ethno-traditional identity and for them to love that and want to make sure that it's preserved isn't something we can make go away or should want to make go away. Yeah. 
Yeah, the 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 rub is particularly when we think uh, in terms of international relations is um, well, it's like getting back to Putin and Erdogan and uh, Orban in Hungary and Bolsonaro or whatever in Brazil. And we get these uh, authoritarian leaders in these countries that, um, you know, they're, they're not there yet. And, and, and actually, in many ways, their countries aren't there yet. And how do we deal with these people uh, in a way that is, um, you know, for the greater good? And I think that there's actually some intelligence in accepting that they are who they are. And, um, and I think we, we, we do both in a way. It's like China. Uh, I, I'm sympathetic with China trying to usher in 800 million traditionalists and, and contain and corral that. Well, that's yeah, a, uh, tribalists and, and barely surviving peasants with very, very limited identity and cognition. Yes. People pre-traditional, yes. uh, significant numbers, at least yes. very recently. Yeah. And yet, of course, they're overdoing it and they're cre creating a suffering in these Uyghur camps and or Iger camps. And I think Uyghur so is, the is it Uyghur? Yeah. OK, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and so America and the rest of the world pushes back and we look at our supply line and make sure we're not getting stuff from those camps and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever we could do. And it's just it's this sort of mess of evolution that I think as integralists, we could be friendlier to and less reactive to, actually. Well, you know, they're, they're, unfortunately, I can't really look at anything without seeing multiple perspectives on it. And what leaps forward to me as I hear you articulate that are a couple of perspectives that are definitely in tension with what you just said, which I want to be in conversation with. You know, I have this phrase, actually, let me, kind of digress for a second. Uh, when I first fell in love with Ken Wilber's integral philosophy, I really thought that we had an all-encompassing system that could enable me to see it all from this amazing 50,000-foot view that would really just account for all of reality. But then I began to realize that there was something mutually exclusive about different worldviews and that I couldn't be in the space that can see everything that a worldview would see, and also a, a completely different worldview. I, I, that, that there was something mutually exclusive about that. And that what I could do, perhaps, was to have an overview. The integral worldview gave me something. I could inhabit my own with a great deal of integrity. And I could be, and I like this phrase, in conversation with views different from my own. And that that opened something up. And one of, the con one of the points of view with which I'm in a very rich conversation and I'm learning a lot from it is a point of view that says some, you know, th th that we would, from the integral perspective, call a retro-romantic uh, error, you know, we would, we, would, we would tend to critique, but which makes a very sophisticated uh, argument that there was a, a recognition of the fundamental interconnectedness of all things implicit in what was healthiest and most evolved in aboriginal men of high degree, in 
and in the in the what we would call indigenous wisdom, what's healthy healthiest in from, from an indigenous point of view, and that a lot of that is validated by quantum mechanics and you know the current our current level of understanding of entanglement and so forth this this incredibly interwoven world is 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 understood there and that the although there was a developmental advance in modernity as we took subject object separated them out had these discernments and and there was a mind of separation but it was also a mind that enabled us to accomplish all kinds of things improve standards of living and by the combination of science and the market transform the world that you know there might be a lot that's praiseworthy but there was also a lot that was pathological and that the uh, crisis that we're all living through this ecological crisis is a direct outgrowth of that mind of separation yeah. and and so the argument that it is an a kind of error and that we have to recognize its pathological qualities and graduate from them and reweave uh, a, a maybe a more sophisticated version, but a, 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 a worldview that's rooted in that integrated wholeness that had uh, a, a simple expression in the indigenous cultures. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from ways in which yep. that is wise Me and too. true and valuable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument from me there. I, I actually think that that is a lot of the sort of hidden agenda, often hidden from its own practitioners, of the deep ecology. Well, I don't know about deep ecology. I think they're actually getting that. But in terms of just the, the green apocalyptic worldview, is um, a, a, a it's 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 a move. It's an anticipation of a new move forward into a religion of creation that I think human beings are headed towards, or a religion that's nature-based, and that just sees the, you know, I don't know, worships creation, sees the beauty, the magic, the transcendence of the creation, and creation itself, the process, and, um, and that the, the, a lot of the deep ecology movement is a desire to reintegrate that. And that absolutely this interpenetrated worldview of an aboriginal, uh, of uh, that we actually want that back. And that, you know, that's a new religion of green in a way. It's just, it's, it's, it's nascent. It, people don't even realize, realize it themselves. It's unclear. And it's actually part of, part of the political problem with the ecology movement is that it's unacknowledged. And it's a turnoff to people who already have a religion. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. You know. Essentially, but, but it's an absolutely an appropriate religion <laughs> that I am so excited about. But, you know. But it doesn't, get, it doesn't get to be the church and the truth. No, it will, I think, in 100 years. I do. But mm. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. But, but it can't. But it has to play well with others in the meantime, if it wants exactly. to. Exactly, exactly. And, and yes, and it also it's coming online. And I think this is probably just evolutionarily developmentally appropriate. It's coming online in, with hellfire and damnation. Well, it, it, here's the thing that, you know, we, that we've, got to acknowledge for the, we've got to acknowledge the, the, the modernist expression of that 
point of view, which is probably best epitomized by Bill McKibben in his writings and his argument that the laws of physics are impervious to your negotiation and your point of view and the relativizing of everybody's perspective is not going to save anybody from the destruction of uh, the life support systems upon which we all depend for our own futures. And that uh, the way you were just talking about it seemed for a moment to talk about it in terms simply of different worldviews as if we've got to make room for all the worldviews, whereas we are up against some pretty stern <laughs> well, we actually physical do. and biological <laughs> limits. Yes, both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. And we have a better chance of actually engaging uh, people who don't need a new religion uh, if we leave that part uh, you know, to ourselves. Again, this is that segregation. I mean, actually, mm. part of the way forward is it's a new sort of complexity that consists of many new particular things. Well, what I was taking from what you're saying was that this identifies how many different conversations have to be happening simultaneously, which have entirely different assumptions and different worldviews as their foundation, different agreements and different things that are out of bounds. And certain, thing, certain kinds of progress can be made if, if there is a conversation between uh, people who are just looking at the relative values of worldviews. Other conversations can be had if people are really rooted in measurement science, factuality, facticity, and, 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 and the uh, limits to growth and the, the issues of, of our collective survival and are really analyzing that in an absolutely rigorous, empirical, and uh, uh, unblinking, unflinching uh, uh, directness that 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 conversation needs to be going on vigorously, and nobody's going to get away from the consequences of that conversation. Yeah. But you're pointing out, and I agree, that nobody's going to get away from the con consequences of the conversation about the competition among worldviews and the need to respect all the participants if we're going to have a result. Simply yeah. because uh, a pitched battle, a civil war, only has losers when we're also facing these profound ecological existential challenges so right. so so we're we're, in, we're 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 in agreement but then that brings forward another bigger problem which is that we no longer live in a world in which anybody can have a private side conversation with some specific group of people where if you have a conversation with your donors at a fundraiser if you're a politician that gets leaked out that's and, good and, too and that's good. Well, too. there's something good. You about know, it's it. just like let it let all voices speak. Let it rip, uh, be, because there's first of all, there's no other choice. This 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 the cow has left the barn or whatever the expression is. Well, I think we need to respect the fact that the fracas can become deadly. Like that the 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 degree to which the private conversation that was fruitful between these two people gets leaked out to the people who are offended by both of those points of view and further inflames them. There is a kind of uh, self-intensifying mutual inflammation <clears throat> dynamic that could ultimately be self-terminating. I think we have to... I, well, I that's a, a total, leap. 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm with a, you until the self-terminating. It's like, I mean, it's it's like as the conversation has become more brutal, we as a people have become less so. I mean, hmm. it's just one of the paradoxes of evolution. Right. right. Uh, you know, the more violent the video games, the more pacified we become, you know, in a way. And, and these conversations, I mean, my grandfather never spoke to somebody who disagreed with him in his entire life. Not fundamentally. Hmm. And now you, I mean, we can't stay out of each other's hair. And if you get into these comment flaming wars, I actually think they're fruitful as long as they don't lead to real violence. And, you know, they apparently aren't. I mean, not, there's exceptions. To well, the no, they, 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 they're, they're leading to lots of violence. We're just having shootings in synagogues and churches and all the rest. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of, at the place where we're concerned. Can I just say something? Because, yeah. that, that, you know, of course, that's true. You know, it's like the clock moves forward, but there's a pendulum. Um, and yes, hate crimes has had a spike, but gun violence is down in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years, in the last year. Uh, there have been 210 people killed by mass violence this year. 210. That's a utter tragedy for them and their families. And you don't want to explain that away. But we can look at it with an evolutionary view and say, hey, we're doing pretty good in the violence uh, point of view, uh, you know, the violence scale. Because 210 is lower than whatever the number was for 2018. Well, it may even be higher. But I'm just saying, in terms of actual gun violence and violence in general, domestic violence, all burglary, uh, it's relentless. Um, um, the decline. The yeah. decline, yeah. Well, there's certainly been spikes in hate crimes and uh, certainly violence against Jews and so forth in the Trump era. There have been some important upticks. And I think people's sense that that can get out of hand, I mean, we do have historical records of, you know, the Holocaust or of other... Uh, yeah, but this is what the integral can bring to the party that other people can is an evolutionary view. I mean, what are the chances of a developed country doing anything what like what Germany did in the 40s? I mean, it's zero. I mean, in terms of extermination, concentration camps, uh, that, you know, that whole thing basically was the a reason that we moved forward into post-modernity. These countries now, it would be unthinkable that Germany and France would go to war in that way with each well, other. It's, un it's, a, it's unthinkable that we would have death camps where we were gassing people, but it's become our reality that we have what are technically concentration camps of refugees on our southern border. That That, that is- Oh, happening. my dear. They're, I mean, not, they're not death camps. But they're, they're yes. they are concentration camps. That 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 term is accurate. That that, that that obscures more than it communicates to, to to call them concentration camps to me. I mean, please. Well, I mean, and and, and I think the child separation policy is what it of illuminates the, the big... something that a lot of people are dedicated to not seeing, and it and it serves a useful purpose to illuminate what is tending to be disregarded. Oh, how many people do you think you've convinced on the other side? By calling them a concentration camp, it's 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 liberal I masturbation. Some, I think there are some people uh, 
on who who are in the kind of more apathetic side who are wrinkling their brows and saying, really? And okay. checking it out and All discovering right. that there's something has no morally not okay about it. Well, okay, well, that's a different thing. Yes, there's something morally not okay about what's going on on the southern border. The child separation policy will be an eternal shame. Uh, so will meat eating at some point. Right. You know, but, you know, what we can still look at is the center of gravity of the relentless move forward in human decency and in a larger circle of moral consent, more people included. I, I, in I agree with that completely, but, but uh, here, here's where I might, I, I don't know why I want to nuance it. And I don't know if I really disagree with you here, but I think the nuancing is important. I think that some of the zigs in the wrong direction, even as we go in the right direction, are potentially pretty dangerous and worth paying attention to. And our confidence in the overall general direction uh, needs to be leavened by that, you know, famous line from John Maynard Keynes, you know, in the long run, we're all dead. In the long run, things may be getting better, but in the short run, uh, some nasty shit can go down. Yeah, no, for sure. But I, I think it actually does matter the story we tell. And all first tier memes are telling the story of how we fucked up and driven the bus into the ditch, whether we forsook God right. or whether we're, you know, complicit in an eco apocalypse. Integral gets a chance to tell another story, you know, and which is the story of that we haven't fallen from paradise. Actually, we all everybody got that wrong. We were rising to paradise. And actually, if you want to get technical about it, we're living in paradise. If you want to uh, actually By comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah. But people who are writing about paradise 2000 years ago, this would be it. The rivers are running with milk and honey. Only actually it's better because that would be a mess. It's you know, <laughs> we could have milk and honey delivered to us whenever we want it. <laughs> yeah you know i mean i do think that there's a, nobody tells that story it's some people but it's 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 an affront and feels obscene to all first tier memes to tell that story and, and green has a reaction i get it all the time uh because fear is still the currency yeah it's in first tier memes and and people are literally afraid that if we drop the fear we're going to not get off the couch. And I think there's some truth to that. So I'm like, go for it. You know, first tier, have your fear fights, have the fear industrial complex, which, you know, is running strong. And at integral, at least we can relax that somewhat. We can see something we can see. You know, it, 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 this is such a rich topic, Jeff. I, I, I want to chime in and tell you all the ways in which I want to agree in different terms, in fact, and, and, and amplify on what you're saying even as I'm also offering a, a qualifier. Uh, but this is maybe a good moment for me to turn to the listeners of my podcast and, and just uh, invite you, if you're enjoying this conversation, to share it with others. Uh, it'll help us grow a community of listeners dedicated to uplifting public discourse and catalyzing the rapid social transformation our predicament requires. And also, if you're finding our work valuable and you want to support these conversations in our broader discourse, we invite you to become a member and contributor. 
We're a very lean organization, almost entirely volunteers, but some roles have to be at least modestly compensated, and there are ongoing costs to production. All of that's made possible by listener support. So if you can contribute monthly, we'll be grateful. Please help as much as you can, and even just a little, as few as 5 or $10 a month really ultimately can add up and eventually enable us to sustain and advance this initiative. Just go to stateofemergence.org and click donate. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Donate to State of Emergence right now. (laughs) Now back to my conversation with Jeff Salzman. And uh, so Jeff, uh, I was kind of in the middle of my bot, which I'll very briefly (laughs) state, but then I want to talk about- Let me just pause for a second and say, I, I love our conversations. I love this conversation. And this, I think we're dealing with issues that people who are struggling with integral thinking are dealing with. So I just want to say hallelujah. Yeah, exactly. Me too. I love, I mean, this is why we're such good friends and have been keeping, you know, how, how long have we been having this conversation now, brother? You know, 15, long 20 time. years. Yeah, yeah exactly. long time. Yeah. Um, but so, so I, I was going to say the but, which is, I think that we can trust the general direction of evolution, partly because we have never taken survival for granted and we have been afraid of untoward outcomes. And if we completely blow past the sense that we live in narrow tolerances and that we're in an existential crisis and that we could self-terminate, we could blow it. So that's my but. But now my and and my... uh, joining with you is as i've you know as you know i've gone through a period of time you know all along i've seen that we were in something of a civilizational crisis and i've taken it seriously and i've wanted to address it and i've wanted practice to not merely be subjective or even intersubjective but ultimately objective and 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 significant on a social scale and this has always been hallelujah a core core theme of, of my orientation. But in the last five years or so, seeing just how fast the progression of ecological degeneration had accelerated to, and it had surprised me. Things were seeming to go down the tubes awfully fast, way faster than previous. You know, I became really motivated and 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 inflamed. And I began having conversations with others who were similarly alarmed. And the data is alarming. And we need to face the fact that the data is alarming. On the other hand, as I've dwelt in that environment, and I've been intending to take seriously just how fast things are moving and how alarmingly the negative direction could be and, and how much can be lost. Because you know, even if you have temporary evolutionary regression, a lot of beautiful, true and good things can 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 be casualties of those temporary regressions. So, you know, that that's that's a piece of it. But what has happened for me of late, and this has gotten deeper and clearer and more powerful for me, is that you know, you can look at things falling apart and you can just see them falling apart, or you can look at things falling apart and you can see the degeneration of the body of the caterpillar and know that this is how a butterfly comes into being. And if you are participating and, and, and seeing with those eyes and engaging in a way that is very, you know, profoundly vulnerable and you take everything seriously, but 
your spiritual illumination, your intellectual clarity, your actual lived practice, your whole being is congruent with the regeneration of a higher order of, 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 of evolutionary emergence of what comes next. If all of that can come together in your being so that you're the presence of, we are doing this. We are rising to this critical moment in our evolutionary trajectory. Everything that you're hoping for is coming into being. And yes, there's lots to grieve every step of the way, and there's lots to mourn, and there are losses, and it's heartbreaking, and yet it's also beautiful, and it's never not been beautiful, but it's especially beautiful now. And in our lifetimes, we are the hands and feet of spirit creating a higher level of order and I know this is true, and I am the presence of that commitment. And, and, and if I can show up in all my relationships with that clarity, I'm way more effective as a change agent and as an agent of the activism that the people who are alarmed are tending actually to undermine because their upset expresses a distrust in the process. And if we spread that distrust we're visualizing a negative future and we're gonna to tend to co-create it. Our presumption will be the result of our action. And if we can really rest in our confidence of the possibility we're committed to creating, we become the presence of that coherence in the world. And that's become so powerful and real for me at a whole new level through this series of dark nights of the soul that I've gone through and, and a whole reordering of my work, as you know. I, I'm, I'm feeling that more than ever. And in that yeah. sense, I'm totally with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and me with you. I, I love your transmission, Terry. And, um, and I, I, you've taught me a lot. And I've been quite, uh, you know, moved by your, uh, the beauty of it. Uh, I, I do, you know, tell a little bit of a different story to myself, I suppose. Uh, I'm not so sure about the data. Uh, I don't, uh, I think that there is a scientific bias towards, um, you know, people getting attention and, uh, you know, making a living and making a name for themselves. And at this point in academia, it, it, it actually anywhere, politics, media, nobody gets uh, any points for saying, you know, we're probably going to muddle through. Yeah, you know that's just not very inspiring to people. But that's not actually too many page views. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually what I think. You know, I think if you factor in the thing that Green doesn't factor in, uh, which is the evolution of human creativity, uh, then we're probably going to muddle through, and and it's tragic. Uh, there's there's a lot of you know suffering in the in in the meantime it, but we'll be talking like we now talk about how the Cuyahoga River caught fire back right. in whatever it was we'll talk yeah. about how whales were caught with their bellies full of plastic that era that horrible era you know we will we will but we will have solved uh you know a lot a lot of this is just development really you know where we we move and this is actually a part another part of the of the environmental agenda that people aren't clear on, and it turns people who don't agree with this part off, is that we need to move from an orange economy to a green economy, from a con an economy of growth to an economy of sustainability. That's happening all over the place. But, mm -hmm. you know, it needs to happen. 
But that's part of the ecological agenda that turns modernists off. We talked about the religious aspects that turn the traditionalists off. That turns modernists off. So Green's left in this eco ghetto where mm. you know, they, don't, they, they don't get traction with those other developmental stages. And I, I just think we need to be aware of that. I think being aware of that is half the battle mm. as we you know, go out into the public sphere and work this out. You know, because I am working now with many, many more uh, so, so, social and political and ecological activists than I did in the past, you know, I was raised with a social commitment, but you know, I've spent most of my adult career mostly as a teacher of spiritual development or integral philosophy and all this very developed stuff. Spending time with the activists has been very interesting because, um, in a way, it might be most uh, revealing to complain about the limitations of every type of audience because I, I'm attempting to stand in a, a place of a new integration. And it's an integration in which there's a partial truth that uh, spiritual, spiritually focused people are really, really good at, which is awakening to the divine miracle of this present moment and every present moment and coming into uh, a kind of, presence of the blessedness of existence and a sense of wonder and, and a feeling of in loveness with all things and a yeah, kind of kind of serenity and joy and and it's 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 just a beautiful thing except to the degree that that also involves not paying attention to your responsibilities to your fellow human beings and fellow creatures and the fact that you're a citizen in a democracy that is actually very serious ways under threat in certain regards and that participation by citizens is necessary and your aesthetic preference for the good company of your other spiritual friends has you never wanting to go to a town meeting or participate in local politics or getting your hands dirty with uh, or, or even maybe even take very serious efforts to change your own carbon footprint or your consumption patterns or any of the things that ought to be challenged by our collective predicament. And the opacity of so many spiritual practitioners to the necessity of a truly integral practice began to drive me nuts. I went through a certain period of time where I was feeling like we were all in this bubble of privilege in which we were letting we, we we would whistle while Rome burnt. We would be willing to let it all go to hell and never get out of our uh, aesthetic bubble, and that there was something morally contemptible about it. Now, I, I be, it really got to me. But then, as I began to work with people who were doing a lot more than I was as as activists, who were absolutely committed, uh, so-called social justice warrior people, there were. A variety of different folks, of course, that I would meet. And, and generally, I think I would tend to meet ones who were pretty conscious and pretty spiritual because the others wouldn't even want to talk with me, probably. <laughs> but, but there was a, a, a tendency toward a kind of unhappiness and, and a kind of pessimism and almost uh, a subtle uh, 
quality of embitterment that would creep in way too much. <laughs> the, the best, the best of them were uplifted. Their sense of despair over what they saw happening in the news was transformed by the fact that they were taking action and they were feeling empowered by that. And they were feeling morally congruent and they were coming alive and they were having more energy for their interior development and for the, and, and where I think the real juicy places is in the interpersonal. It's as we get to understand each other even better and love each other even more and help each other at different levels and create upward spirals, positive feedback loops that are creating more and more and more capacity. That's where we, you know, we discover fire for the second time in a sense. Th those are the things that excite me when I deal with the best of the, my fellow activists, so to speak. But the activism world is pervaded by uh, a blame mentality way well, too well, much. Well, green is in general. I mean, mm. it's, it's where there's no absolute truth. And it's very much, if you think of grievance and gratitude as being two poles, you know, that move us forward, yeah. totally on the grievance side. Very, mm. you, can't, you can't even have gratitude. It's, it's not allowed, you know. So that's, I mean, that's what we're integral comes in handy because we could take the, you know, all of the truths that you're talking about into a new worldview that doesn't get contracted around despair. Yeah. You know, which is what green is. Uh, and, and, and actually, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think we need more green. I think we need a liberated green, but I think we need more awareness of microaggressions and more awareness of other people's realities and of, of hidden privileges and all of that stuff. We haven't begun to, 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 we don't know how sensitive human beings can be. We're going to be really sensitive in the future. And we can, and we can be good friends to that amazingly tenderly sensitive nervous system. Absolutely. Of and, yes. and help it become even more refined and yes. beautiful and amazing. Yes. Yeah. And we need more deep ecologists and more people who are feeling the um, the grief of changing ecosystems and you know the destruction and, uh, and I think we need more of that. Uh, but but more but people not, who are who are communing with nature and feeling ecstatically yes, connected yes. and the gratitude grief the yeah. gratitude piece please yeah. You know, so that we can even this thing out and move forward in a way that is heartening. You know, yeah. Uh, there's a uh, th th that's the part that I, I get. You, you talk about what makes you angry. This is what makes me angry: is that this this, this reflexive, blasé acceptance of an ap apocalyptic scenario in our pop culture, in our politics. It's while we just relentlessly you know, get better, we get more sensitive, we get more decent, we have more education, we have less poverty, uh, we have less violence. Um, and we need to notice that. Well, you, you, you know, the, there's, it's worth filleting that fish. There's, there, it's, it's like, know, of course you know, like there's, yes. there's, there's complexities to the, like uh, one of the, pieces that I'm uh, I'm resonating with you most fundamentally but it's it, it's also true that we have to take 
some of the negative things very seriously and a certain kind of moral and intellectual courage is required because it hurts to feel those things and there's a barrier. And so I, I admire the courage with which people will face the darkness. It's just that there's a different level of light on the other side yeah. of that darkness. And I, I don't want to regress into a kind of denialism that's just sanguine and opaque. Oh, come on, Terry. Challenges. Why not? <laughs> I mean, haven't we suffered enough? <laughs> well, it, but, but, but. No, but the, I, of course not. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but here's, here's, here's what I think we can, you and I, I think we de facto agree on this, is that we do tell a different story and we respond to different things. We're different people and we, you yeah, know, yeah, have yeah, different yeah. antenna and we're different right. whatever. Uh, but we're both on the same side. And, you know, in terms of my lifestyle, I mean, I'm no paragon of living ecologically, but I'm really aware of it. And I really feel bad when I don't. And I vote for all the same things you do. And I would be, you know, you know, I'm, I'm on board for fixing this ecological crisis and, you know, being you know, aware of it, even if I have a different story. And that's part, that's challenging for, uh, it's even been challenging for you and me. I mean, in a good way. I mean, we've never really let it get us it, down. It, it's not problematic, but no. it is work. But it, it takes, is challenging. It like is. every relationship, our relationship takes yes. real work. Yes. And that's part of, you know, first tier memes. They don't want you to just get what they have to offer. They, you have to believe the way they believe. Yeah. You have to fear the same things they fear. You have to tell the same story. And if you don't, I don't give a shit what you do. You know, that's uh, th that's the real key thing. That's how I know uh, uh, you're one of us. And I'm tired of it. Yeah. Tired of it. Well, I wanted to join in with your tiredness of some of the things that are not healthy on, <laughs> on the in the in the postmodern. Oh, good. Please do. Uh, one of them being, you know, you were appreciating, you know, we should become more sensitive to microaggressions. And I, I actually, I, I totally agree yeah. with that. Right on. And we should become way less righteous about blaming people for it. Yes, yes. We should become way less indignant and thinking that we have a right never to have our feathers ruffled. And we should become way less willing to condemn the humanity of people who are imperfect. We should become, I, I, you know, I, I've thought sometimes, Jeff, that I have a <laughs> my fundamental politics, you know, organize around different principles than anything anybody's talking about. So there's two things I'm for, and there's two things I'm against. So the first thing I'm for is repentance. Every one of us has been and tends to be an ego. Everybody's a little bit of a jerk. We've all screwed up. We've hurt people. We've been hypocrites. We ought to just get off the pride thing and be really in a mode of repentance in a fundamental way. And that gives everybody access to us. So I'm for that. I'm for repent, universal repentance. And the second thing is a general amnesty. Everybody else has been a complete jerk too. And we have to love them anyway. And just, okay, that person was a pig in this way. They were this, they were that. 
they always are redeemable. And, and, and the idea that they have to be perfect in order to be loved, let's just drop that forever. Yeah. Right. Like that, that general amnesty, it's the beginning of any kind of resolution. Yeah. We're never going to come together left and right without that universal yeah. amnesty. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, well, okay. Okay. well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, key to that is the, the, the new story of rising to paradise instead of falling from paradise. You know, that uh, the, what's really most important about human beings is not our sinful nature, but our basic goodness that there is a, uh, there's a procreate urge, there's an updraft that is at work in each one of us. It's like, you know, grandparents looking at their fighting grandchildren. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, look at them, they're going to grow. It, 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 it's all as well. And that there is something that about that switch of the storyline that lets us forgive humanity. For all the, I mean, countless things that we need to be forgiven for, individually and collectively. That's yeah. I, I, I'm just reflecting on how how much I embrace what you're just saying. I usually talk about it in terms of the necessity of the utopian impulse. In <laughs> some sense, everything I'm doing is ridiculously utopian, <laughs> and you would think that. Uh, you yeah, think it, you're it, ridiculously it, utopian. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Competition. <laughs> you should see more me. ridiculously utopian. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think I think that the, this uh, eye on the possibility is is like a, a a north star. It's a way to navigate. It's it's like like the plant growing toward the light your sense of that possibility inspires you forward and this uh kind of narrowed eyed realism and boy people are just awful and you know, there's a, there's a lot of awfulness and it's not they're not wrong Endless. i mean they can marshal all their facts of all the ugliness and they're not you know they they, they understand. be scratching the surface yeah but but every time i've gone deep with any human being I've found a place, however buried it is under multiple levels of twisted ugliness, there's something in them that want, they, they, they want to be good. They want to do good. They want to be a part of something. Absolutely. Better. That's there in everybody. Absolutely. They want to make a better world for their grandchildren, just like we do. Yeah. 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 Only they have a different. Well, uh, I want to tell you about the two things I'm against. Yes, again. please. So the rest of my politics is the other, the other two things are I'm really against psychopathy. Psychopathic uh, uh, behaviors are functionally evil. When somebody is a sociopath or a, you know, a psychopath who's acting in a social way, their orientation is utterly destructive. They're, they're a poor being that needs to be healed. That, that, that you don't have to put them out of your heart permanently but they have to lose i'm against that i don't want psychopathic <laughs> policies i don't want psychopathic dynamics in political parties are you listening republicans i don't want any you know psychopathy i'm against and the second thing i'm against is a a cynicism that uh and and cynicism is you you, you remember uh 
early in our knowing one another, one of the, the wonderful discoveries that we made together and enjoyed so much with our dear friend Diane was Big Mind. And there was always a, uh, okay, I want to hear the voice of the skeptic. And the skeptic was always distinguished from the cynic. And what was the difference between the skeptic and the cynic? The skeptic recognized that there are all kinds of points of view trying to colonize your mind. And you really have to be skeptical. You want evidence, you want reason, you really want to test things. And that that's just due diligence, that's rigor. The cynic has in some way given up hope. The cynic doesn't believe anything is possible. And cynicism usually ends up expressing itself as apathy and a shrugging off of a sense of responsibility. And so anybody who is acting, ah, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just like that. That's all cynicism. And that is what excuses people from voting, from participating and, and, and being responsible citizens. They don't bother to recycle. They don't bother to love their neighbor. They don't bother to do anything because their heart was broken because they've lost track. And that's a kind of going over to the dark side. In your psychopathy, you go over to the dark side. In your cynicism, you go over to the dark side. And every one of us in little ways not so much with psychopathy, I hope, but certainly with cynicism, is tested. Some part of me is ready <laughs> to give up a million times a month. You know, like there's so many opportunities to go, ah, ah, forget it, forget about it. That is the gate of hell. Like, don't go there. That's what to be against in the world, but in yourself. And, and th those are my yeah. politics. Yeah, right on. So, I think those are... Two beautiful guiding principles that I will remind my inner psychopath. <laughs> well, I see him. I mean, he just wants everything to go his way, you know. Well, he's willing to disregard everybody else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what he wants. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have uh, other people who try to keep him in check and mostly do. But uh, there are people who don't have a lot of checks on their inner psychopath. I... Yeah, like, like he, who shall, he who shall not be named. Be named. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> we ended up on the uh, the perfect note. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 well, perhaps we're perhaps we're about at the point where we ought to conclude. But I don't know. I kind of want to hear some kind of. We, we we've said a lot of things that are in some essential way summary. So I don't know if we want to sum it up since we've kind of been summing it up as we've gone. Maybe uh, I would like to invite you to uh, reflect on what would be the next thing that you'd want to talk about here? What's the question that remains at the end of the conversation that might be most intriguing and, and that makes you curious? Boy, that has been a full meal. So you're asking me to fantasize about what else I'd like to eat. Uh, <laughs> and I'm buying on a full belly. Uh, well, the spiritual stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how we actually what what does a, a what does a religion of creation look like? Mm -hmm. What does um, what does practice look like? Uh, what does I, I, I also found it interesting, and I, I I don't think we unpacked it fully, but this idea of moving into a, a society where there's both more integration and more segregation in a mm -hmm. sense, voluntary, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, 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 I was, I've been kind of inspired by this Ron Dreher 
who yeah. is uh, you know, the, better, commentary, yeah, the yeah. Benedictine option. And he talks about, you know, he, he believes the Bible literally. He's a very smart guy. He's very well educated. He uh, believes that the Catholic Church is the direct line to, to Jesus Christ. And, and, and he wants to live by those principles. And so he's recommending that the, the Benedictine option, which is where people who think like he, do, he does uh, create their own communities and withdraw from the modern world. And I think we're going to see more of that sort of thing, that sort of conscious, you know, let's work this and not get into what feels to people who believe like he does, feels like a blenderized, homogenized, multicultural globalism that is terrifying. You know, they're going to mm -hmm. lose their soul. So I think we're going to see more of that. I think that's interesting. And, and yet those uh, communities will have to be part of the bigger community and we, they have to be nonviolent. But think of how interesting a world it, it can be when we let people organize around ways that are so deeply fulfilling to them. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I'm looking forward to more of that. That's great. I love that you're picking that out because... I didn't get into it here, but you know, I I think we have to have in my utopianism. I think we have to have multiple theories of change, and the one I can do the most about is to create social experiments. Yes, and some of those social experiments are virtual and they're very pluralistic and they're interpenetrating with the world as a whole. But some of those social experiments are new eco villages that might, in their form, look a whole lot like this Benedictine option that Absolutely. Rodney is talking about. They definitely have to have a spiritual core. And this advancing of social experimentation toward being next stage human beings, another stage of moral integrity, another stage of kindness, another stage of friendship, another stage of everything, truly next stage culture. That's absolutely one of the most important emerging fields. We could call it a field, like a, it is a field of investigation. It's, it's action inquiry. It's not just abstract scientific study, but it is a field of science in a sense. And it's also an art form, yeah. really, too. Yeah. It's both an art and a science. Well, you that's, know, that's my big thing these well, days. Well, I was going to say, yeah. I, I'm talking about Rod Dreher. I'm sitting here talking to somebody who's an exemplar of it himself. And that's you who grew up in an intentional community and you who went off to live with Adida and you who are creating this new you know, thought space, world space, virtual, however you're doing it. Social experiment I mean, is what we you, call man. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, hallelujah. Well. Your biggest you're, fan. You're, yeah, and I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if you're, you know, if, if people haven't already tuned in to Jeff, the warmth and uh, capaciousness of your heart, that your capacity to welcome, your capacity to, create a uh, a space that is is not just safe but genuinely welcoming and warm and nurturing to so much makes you uh, uh, a, a real teacher to so many people also you're pretty good at teaching the you know integral uh -huh. perspective which is an important piece of it but yeah I, I think I think it, it's almost even more your uh, everybody's favorite camp counselor way of being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a, I can't believe my luck that I get to do this.
Yeah. Yeah. Same with you. And to be your brother in this, of all the battles and all the scars we have together. I exactly. mean, it's a, what exactly. a great privilege. How, how, how great to love you even more after all that. I know. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right, Brother Terry. Thank you. 